Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come Lord Jesus. You be truly Lord as we sang our life, our strength, even now. Cause us to hear your voice. Left us to us, our minds will wander. Cause us to hear. Help us, Lord. Give us that understanding, Spirit of God, that we might understand what we hear. Increase our faith, O Lord, that we believe what we hear. Strengthen our will, Lord, in your likeness that we obey what we believe. Help us to lift Jesus. Help us to lift Jesus even tonight, O Lord, in your house. For you alone can draw all men towards you. Help us, Father. Speak to us, Father. Empower us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We'll continue from where we left on Sunday. You know, the subsequent messages for some time, or maybe for a few weeks, and uh, I do not know what Pastor Vijay is planning to preach on on uh, Wednesday and Sunday, but I know he, usually he goes the same route. But once again, let me make clear from this pulpit, about this pulpit, from this pulpit, about this pulpit. When the Lord called me and gave me a pulpit to preach from, he very clearly defined my call from the book of Acts, from the ministry of Apollos. He said, I've called you to strengthen the believers in the church. So from the first message you will find on the website, title called Chosen Faithful, every message which I preach and even Pastor Vijay preaches is aimed towards believers. So by some chance, if you're outside the kingdom, meaning truly not born again, it often may not make some much sense to you. But I believe everyone on a Wednesday evening are part of the kingdom. But remember, the messages may even create hostility in your mind. Because the kingdom of God is directly opposite to the kingdom, opposed and opposite to the kingdom of this world. And Jesus himself says the kingdom of God advances with great violence, spiritual violence. And uh, if you ask, what does that mean? We know Romans 12, 1 and 2, of course, that I have been given that to you. There has scripture to be put on the screen. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It takes enormous violence, spiritual violence, to teach your body regularly. To use today's illustration, regularly to submit to the rule of the spirit so that you are present on a Wednesday evening. doesn't matter how tired you are and how far you are. That you would rather catch half a message than not to catch the message at all. Okay. To to spiritual violence on your body. And Paul will put it across in, in one first Corinthians chapter nine and verse twenty seven. He will say, 
I I beat. It's there, the first one, right? I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. It's part of the kingdom of God, subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Because the disciplining of the body to the spirit of God and to your own spirit. The disciplining of the mind, which is the renewing of the mind by the word of God, so that we are not just hearers, we receive the word of God and we practice the word of God. That is where, if you are looking at where the truth of God comes, the judgments of God comes, the justice of God comes, the righteousness of God comes. That's the reason we come to hear the word of God. We are not looking for principles to apply in the world. We are looking for the righteousness of God to be established in our lives. Because scripture is very clear that if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. And scripture also says the spiritual man judges all things, yet he himself is not judged. But the issue here is to make judgments, to make judgments, I need truth. I need truth. Without truth, I cannot make judgments because that's how God. Scripture says in Isaiah, Jesus does not make judge by what he sees or what he hears, but in righteousness he will judge. So it's in truth he judges. Abraham Lincoln said, let me try to recollect my memory. He said, do not believe anything that you hear and only believe half what you see. Now he's saying something similar. He says, you cannot believe anything that you hear. And you cannot believe even all that you see. It may not be the truth. Okay. How does Jesus put it across? Jesus says in John 17 and verse 17, he says, Lord, sanctify them, set them apart for a holy use by your truth. Your word is truth. His word is truth. How does the word or the truth sanctify me? By the judgments I make on myself. I or you, we are called to meditate upon his word day and night because his word is the truth. And then I apply that truth and make judgments upon my life. I am set apart. And the judgments I make, I make only on the areas where God has given me authority. And there has to be justice. When I make a judgment, the judgment is aimed towards justice. And when justice comes, it leads to righteousness. It leads to righteousness. And this is important. This is very important because three times in scripture, I said always when God repeats something three times, it's very important. Three times scripture says, the just, new translations will use the term righteous, but KJV will use the term just. The just, my just shall live by faith. My just shall live by faith. My just shall live by faith. Okay, and faith comes from hearing. The word. Let's use the word as truth. Because the word is truth. Faith comes from hearing. We like, we don't get so rattled when we say faith comes from hearing. Because we're telling everybody about building and pulling down and all that. Okay? Great acts. But what if I were to say faith comes from the truth? Then suddenly we get, we get a little dissolution because everybody doesn't like truth. But faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God and the word of God is truth. Okay. We get all excited when we read or hear 
pastor says from no you are a chosen generation you are a royal priesthood wow we get so excited about that term royal and priesthood but it which priesthood is peter talking about or the holy spirit talking about from peter it's found in 1 peter 2:9 okay you don't have to turn there but which priesthood is talking about he is not talking about the levitical priesthood because it is a failed priesthood no he's talking about the new priesthood which is found in hebrews 7 verse 11 Therefore if perfection were through the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law what further need was there for another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron It's not Aaron of Aaron levitical priesthood it is the priesthood of Melchizedek and what is the nature of this priesthood that is what scripture is talking about in words 1 to 3 the next portion for this melchisedek king of salem the priest of the most high god who met abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also abraham gave a tenth part of all first being translated melchisedek is translated king of righteousness then also as king of salem meaning king of peace okay and verse 3 without father without mother without genealogy without neither have beginning or days no end of life but made like the son of god remains a priest consists continually so what is it saying it's saying in the new covenant if we claim or we are called priest under that order remember even in that priesthood it is the order of righteousness the kingship the scepter of that kingdom is righteousness the order of that priesthood is righteousness because melchisedek means king of righteousness whether you want to be called royal priesthood or you want to be called a priest or royal in the new covenant it is all connected with righteousness now let me listen carefully to the statement i am making and i am reading it carefully so that i don't go wrong god is love scripture says so god is full of grace God is full of mercy. God is full of loving kindness. All that is true. Yet one of the most important, if not the most important attribute of God connected with his kingship and his kingdom is this. God is just. And it is about his justice. God will never be unjust. Meaning for his grace for his love for his mercy for his loving kindness he will never bend his justice like i was saying when you look at the cross we see grace we see love we see mercy we see loving kindness all that but when god sees looks at the cross what he sees his justice his justice we see all this but what god sees is perfect justice is met on the cross so don't just see when you look at the cross mercy and grace love and kindness yes all that the lesson of the cross we should take the lesson the primary lesson of the cross is the justice of god and god always judges only in truth only in truth and the problem is jesus said i am the truth therefore god's yardstick for judgment is himself 
when god swears he does not swear by anything he swears by himself when you and i go to a court they may give you the whichever holy book whichever religion and you will say i swear to say the truth and nothing but the truth when god swears he swears by himself because he is the truth only when god has judged in truth can there be justice and then what we enjoy is called righteousness righteousness doesn't come on its own we cannot be declared righteous unless we look at the cross where the justice of god is met there is no way a man can be declared righteous unless he looks at the cross and accepts this is the justice of god i am everything what god calls me and i accept your verdict but i look at to the cross where your justice is meant i repent i believe in your son that he has taken my punishment then only god can call me righteous it is not repeating of a words it's believing in the justice of god believing that's why scripture says if a man believes in his heart believes the justice of god that's why jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness that's why jesus said seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all the other things basically peace and joy all will be added we have to seek the righteousness of god the question is how can i seek the righteousness of god unless i seek his truth unless i seek his truth therefore god says meditate upon my word or in the old covenant he will say my law day and night meditate upon it because my word is truth in psalm 119 this is how david will put a cross the psalmist david will say in 19 verses 11 to 3 your word i have hidden in my heart that i may not sin against you how do we not sin against god by hiding his truth in our heart because we sin against truth Blessed are you O Lord teach me your statutes and verse 13 with my lips i have declared all the judgments of your mouth do we declare his judgments first he meditates upon his law upon his word and then he proclaims the judgments according to that truth You cannot proclaim judgments unless you have even if a judge has to proclaim a judgment he has to first learn the law. He has to first learn the law. Therefore even as we judge ourselves and make judgments we live also conscious of this one fact ultimately God alone is just. And there is a day set called the day of judgment. where all wrongs will be righted justice will be upheld and that day onwards righteousness will flow like a river okay because if you are going after justice in this life we are going to be miserable all we can do is seek righteousness and we can do to see that we uphold justice in our own lives scripture says in romans 117 the just 
shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed. Only the just can live by faith. It also means when it says from faith to faith, it also means in this fallen world, we live confidently knowing that one day the justice of God will be revealed. We can only live by faith. We cannot live by sight. In sight, I want justice now. Lord, I have been wronged. I want justice now. God says, no. You live by faith to faith to faith, knowing one day the justice of God will be revealed. And again, coming back. Every one of us adults, few children, but every one of us adults sitting here has an area he or she is responsible Now we are coming to justice and righteousness. It automatically brings us to judgment because we have to make judgments. Okay, what God is doing, he's he's putting us as interns in his kingdom now, training us to make judgments in truth, in righteousness. But we have to be very careful to judge only that area and not those we have not been given authority. The examples are given both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, we have to be very careful because of what will happen in eternity. In the Old Testament, the example is given by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 12 to 16. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? He says, there are six million, two million people around here. You've got too many problems. I can't handle all this. Choose wise understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, those who know the law of God. The law of God has been given, those who know the law of God, and I will make them as heads over you. And how is it done? Verse 14. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you. Leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties and leaders of tens and the officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time saying hear the cases between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or stranger who is with him. We looked at this part last on Sunday but verse 15 is what you need to look at. Those who have given charge over ten only judge within that area. He didn't judge the eleven. He didn't. He did not have authority. He may have an opinion, but he kept to himself. The one who had authority over the 50, judged only over that 50. The one who had authority over the 100, judged only that 100. The one who had authority over the 1000, had judged only that 1000. And finally it went up, up, it ended up with Moses. That is exactly the way our judicial system is formed. You have Sessions Court, you have this court, you have the High Court, and finally you end up with the Supreme Court. And in the Supreme Court, you finally end up with the full bench. And there it stops. Area is defined there. And in the New Covenant too. In the New Covenant, you see this in Romans, where God will say, Romans chapter 14, Receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him not who eat, despise him who does not eat. Let him not who does not eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him. 
who are you to judge another servant to his own master he stands or falls indeed he will be made to stand for god is able to make him stand again demarcation is given don't judge where you have no area authority to don't make judgments about disputable things where things are not clear because a lot of things are not very clear in life because as culture changes new things which were never ever there in history comes in okay so you can only go by principle is it right to watch tv hum tv wasn't there when the bible was written so you are looking for tv in the bible you will never see but principle may be there do not put an evil thing before your eye so you have to decide whether the tv is evil or not the tv is not evil tv is neutral programs may be good or bad okay disputable things and verses 10 to 11 why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother for we shall all stand before the judgment of seat of christ for it is written as i love says the lord every knee shall bow to me every tongue shall confess to god what does it mean we immediately take it as salvation god that's not what he's saying every tongue and every knee will bow one day and accept your judgments are right are true so when it comes to judgments principles are set these are very important principles because do you remember the song of moses which is sung in heaven is only one it is called the song of moses on earth and in heaven it is called the song of moses and of the lamb what is that song why is moses song sung in heaven because of the nature of the song in revelation 15 verses 1 to 4 i another saw another sign in heaven great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them the wrath of god is complete when the wrath of god that is the judgment of god is complete suddenly there is a song i saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast over his image over his mark over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass having the harps of god and they sing the song of moses the servant of god and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are your works lord god almighty just and true are your ways when do they say it when judgment is over that's when they understand you are just absolute till then they are crying how long lord how long lord how long lord basically saying lord when will justice come but when judgment is complete what do they sing they sing just and true are your ways just you are just absolutely just absolutely just. what are they singing when the wrath of god is complete and billions are gone billions are gone they are not saying lord have mercy lord how hard hearted you are they are not saying anything what they are saying you are absolutely just because now they see what they could not understand earlier so remember and keep this in mind meditate on truth day and night so that we personally individually can make righteous judgments in life because it is important i will tell you why it is important okay as we go further remember this what i told earlier everyone every adult over here sitting here as an area where you are responsible even if you have nobody under you you are responsible for your life to make your judgments every man has to judge himself and to make correct righteous judgments he needs to know the truth and words god's word is truth and examples are given in the word of god 
the examples, the doctrinal truth we learned from the word of God. In the letter to the church in Ephesus, after speaking first about spiritual blessings, our position in Christ, how we are made alive in Christ, and the fivefold ministry, apostolic, all that ministry and its purpose, and then about life in the kingdom. After that, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul comes to the government of the kingdom. He comes to government. Government has got to do with ruling or judging. Judging, ruling, and the territory is marked out carefully. You cannot have a judge without telling him what is his territory. Right? Government doesn't just appoint a judge. He also appoints him into a particular place and defines his boundaries. So, you will see how it is demarcated in the Bible. Get the principles. First, we see in Ephesians 5, verse 22, the basic unit. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. So what is he saying? The home. The house, so home is the first area of judgment and it is given to the husband. It's given to the husband. The second area is the home when you have children. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So judgment is given to the parents over their children and not to the children next door. We don't make judgments about the children next door. Let them be whatever they want. Pray for them. Don't make judgments. Don't make judgments. Pray for them. Husband is given only authority over his wife, not his neighbor's wife. Let her dress whatever she wants. Let her say whatever she wants to her husband. It's none of your business. Ephesians 6.5 Judgment, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Judgment, ruling, power, authority is only given to the masters, to the employers. Judges at the workplace, not to someone else's employees or someone else's employers. So all this applies to us. The world may not accept it, but it applies to us. The church, when it comes to the church, Hebrews 3.17 Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And verse, same thing in chapter 13 itself, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. When it comes to the church, God says, the shepherd judges his church. He gives counsel to those who seek. He judges only his church. He does not judge another man's church. He does not. And he judges only the areas connected with the church and what affects the church. He does not judge judge what you do in your office. It's none of his business. If somebody comes and says, you know what, this is what Raj did in Google. I'll say, go tell his manager. Why are you telling me? What's got that to do with me? He did not give me authority over Raj's office. There is somebody demarcated and appointed for that. It's not my business. My business is only connected with the church. When you have an issue in your home, I don't judge your home unless you come to me for counsel. I give you counsel. I don't judge you. It's only connected with the church. It's very clear. Demarcation is clear. When it comes to the civil government, again, it's the order in which it is given. Romans 13.1 will say, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Appointed by. We don't see them as appointed by God. We see them appointed by people. God says no. 
It's appointed by God. It doesn't matter who wins the next election on November 7th in US. Ultimately, it's appointed by God. Okay. So judging, ruling an area is clearly demarcated. Almost all problems in a home, in a church, in an office, and finally in the society, nation, arise because someone wanting to judge in an area that has not been given to him or her. Or the miscarriage of justice in the area given to him or her. This is the reason all problems arise. Either somebody is judging an area which is not given, or there is a miscarriage of justice in the area that is given. That is why the entire topic about judging or ruling begins with Ephesians 5.1 or 5.21. The government, how a government in a home, in a church, in a business, in this country, it begins with 21 saying, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Ultimately knowing that all authority is delegated and final authority only rests with God who has given it to Jesus. That it is his justice we are called to uphold, not the husband's particular brand of justice. Or the parent's particular brand of justice. Or the employer's particular brand of justice. Or even the government's particular brand of justice. It is God's. And Ephesians 5.21 has a deeper meaning. If we look at 21 and 22 together, we understand the principle of God's governments. 22 will say, wives, submit your husbands in all things as unto the Lord. What does it mean? Listen carefully, brothers and sisters, especially those who are married and are planning to get married. If you want to be a eunuch, praise God, it doesn't apply to you. But others, listen. The wife should submit to the husband because it's a part of God's gov- government. And the husband, this is a principle, the husband knowing that the final authority lies with him, that his wife is submitting to that, is actually freed by her very submission to seek her counsel and submit to her counsel. Did you get it? When a wife Understanding this principle submits to her husband in all things and the husband realizes that I am the final authority and she has submitted to him. Now he is able to submit and seek her counsel and listen to her counsel. That's what it means, submit to one another. It's easy for a husband to seek the counsel of a wife who submits. But on the other hand, when a wife does not submit to his authority, even if a counsel is purely from heaven, he won't listen. He won't listen. This is the principle that God is putting over there. He says that is how it works. This, you take it, applies at every level. Every level. When a follower has submitted to the authority or the rule of a leader, then the leader is actually free to seek the counsel of the follower in making a decision. This is true of a husband, true of parents, true of pastors, true of civil leaders. I'm sure if Joseph had grown up continuous in the house, if Jacob had to ask for counsel, he would ask Joseph, what do you think about this? Why? Because he knew Joseph submits to him, therefore he can seek his counsel. He cannot ask Reuben. 
He cannot ask Simeon. He cannot ask Levi. Because he said, you have made me a stench in the nostrils of the people. And everything that he heard about them was an evil report. Understand. That's how the principle works. That is how the kingdom of God functions on earth. I could give you personal examples because years ago I was caught in a very strange situation. 14 years, 15 years back. I was working in this institution basically to work with the underground church, but I was working in this secular, not secular, it's this government private institution. And there are two bosses above me. One is the principal, one is the vice principal. The principal is Buddhist, the vice principal is Christian. Undercover. The principal 10 years earlier had sat in my class as an intern teacher. And I had taught him. 10 years or 12 years or 13 years later, the situation has been reversed where he is my boss and I am not his. But I understood very clearly the order of God's kingdom. So, I never, I've said this before, when I entered his office, I never sat down unless he told me to sit down. Because I knew he was my boss. Because chairs have importance more than sitting, it also defines something else. When you enter into your office of your boss, you don't just pull a chair and sit down. You sit down only if he tells you to sit down. It's simply because you're respecting authority. And I never, ever, in all those years I worked, never sat down unless. And he used to call me sir out of respect because I was once his sir and I always used to call him sir. But you know, because he understood the way I functioned, the funny part is that I am the newest lecturer in the college because I joined last. All are before me, though I am older. Yet, if I just pass his door, he will call me, ask me to sit down and ask for counsel. How do I do with this? How do I do with this? How do I do with this? How do I do? I never offered my opinion unless he asked. Because that is how it works. On the other hand, I go to the vice principal's office. It's even more interesting. He calls me sir. And I call him sir. And he says, sir, sit down. He asks for counsel. Sunday it is reverse. Sunday he comes to my church. I am his boss. He is not my boss. He listens now to everything that I preach and does in the church, what I tell him to do. You may be caught in a similar situation. And you need to understand, never cross boundaries. Never cross boundaries. When you cross, that's when you cross boundaries and you become very familiar with the authority, you start actually having contempt for law. A police officer may sit here, may come get saved, be part of the church, but when he goes outside and when we are outside, he is over us, not we over him. That's how it works. That's how it works. It's only when this principle works, then the leader can receive counsel from those who have been placed under him. If other doesn't matter, it will not work. They will not receive counsel. If only we keep learning the principles of the kingdom of God and keep repenting and changing by applying, what we are actually doing in our own lives is upholding the justice of God in our lives and establishing his righteousness in our lives. We have need to be very careful about what we understand. It is to be from scripture and scripture alone. And it is absolutely important that we uphold justice and the judgments of God Why? Because this is what God tells in the letter to Thessalonians. He says, 
Test all things. Everything. Test it. Don't just don't take it by hearsay. See if it is upheld by the truth of God. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Not just evil, every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That at the coming of Jesus Christ, you have applied the principles of God of God, which is truth. You upheld justice in your life. You have been declared just, not just in believing, but just progressively. And at the time of coming, you are declared blameless. Why is this important? This is important, maybe not now, you may not see this is important, but in eternity you will realize this will the thing that matters most. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2 and 3. Do you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to be judged? To judge the smallest matters and verse, verse no, verse three, verse three. Yeah, do you not know we shall judge angels? What does that mean? God says there is a near future that is coming where a set of people are going to judge this world and judge angels, and it is foreseen by John. The apostle, what does he see in Revelation 20? And I saw thrones and they had, they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Who sat on them? The father has handed all over judgment to Jesus. Jesus hands all judgment in the hands of the overcoming saints. The question is, can the son give judgment to those who did not hunger and thirst after righteousness while on earth? Can God hand over judgment in the hands of people who did not uphold the justice of God in their own lives? Because on what basis do you judge? Everybody wants to be kings and rulers. But the question is, God says, that is what I am putting you through. You are on training. You are on training. Do we uphold justice of God in our own lives? That is why scripture says the just shall love by truth, by faith. Justice. That's why God will always uphold his justice. He will never bend his justice. And when you th- we think about justice, please remember, even when we think about justice, we think of punishment. Right? We think about courts and crime and punishment. That is a very narrow definition of justice because justice is as much positive as it is negative. If someone does something which deserves honor or reward and yet does not get it, it is injustice. And if someone does not get punished for transgression but gets away without repentance or restitution, that also is injustice. Are you getting the picture? Both are injustice. When somebody does something good, and is rewarded, you will say, oh, he is very just. When somebody does something very bad and gets away with it, you will say he is very unjust. Both is connected with justice. So the judgments of God are twofold. To those who are saved, justice is in the form of rewards. It is not in terms of punishment. They may be lost there. You will get rewards. Or you may get no rewards. You may just come through the fire with salvation alone. So Revelation 22 and verse 12. Behold I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. 
That's the justice of God. You will say, Lord, I'm, I'm upholding justice. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody understands me, but I'm standing here all alone. God says, don't worry. I'm coming quickly. There is a day when justice will happen in your life where I will reward you. In the same token, for those who are not saved, who rejected the salvation of Jesus Christ, there is again another judgment where the degree of punishment to the rebellious. It's not the same. Like I said on Sunday, it will be different levels. And Bible itself proves it. Both are part of God's justice system. Justice system. Understand justice. Understand why it is so important for us now and then. Because the cry, let's, let's look at the cry of most believers, not unbelievers, believers. The cry of most believers is, Lord, how can I please you? Much of our activities are connected with pleasing God. Lord, I love you so much. I am so grateful to you for saving me. Now I want to please you. And some people come even on Wednesday to please God. Which is good. As long as God is pleased with you. And we know from Hebrews 11, 6, scripture says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And scripture also says, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Let me reverse scripture a little. I will reverse it. Not change it, but reverse it and prove it from scripture. That is, if the just shall live by faith, that also means those who walk by faith will live justly. The just shall live by faith. And those who live by faith shall also live justly. Remember, this was the cry of the Old Testament and the New Testament saints. Lord, how do I please you? Listen to Micah. Micah 6 verses 7 and 8. It's a cry. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 10,000 rewards of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is a cry. Lord, what should I do? What do you want from me? I want to please you. What do you want? 10,000 rams? Or oh, you are not satisfied with rams? Maybe like Abraham, I will give you my firstborn. Will that please you? He has shown you, oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require? This is a question, rhetorical question, which God himself is answering. What does the Lord require? Three things. First thing, to do justly. He says the first thing I require of you, the most important thing, he says, is to be just. The most important thing in this faith life is to do justly. The first responsibility of every person, especially if you are in a position of authority, is to do justly. Whether you are a single parent or a king. A single parent has one single child under you. What does God require of you? To do justly. Or you are an employer with one employee. What does God require of you? To do justly. You are a king with a nation under you. What does God require of you? To do justly. And therefore, it is very wrong to jump to conclusions and administer justice before we have examined all the facts and truly arrived at the conclusion of what is true or what is the truth. Suspicion is not a basis for justice. Accusation is not a basis for justice. Truth alone is the basis of justice 
or a verdict or punishment. The greatest perversion we see in this world and also among believers is in the perversion of justice. I will give you little examples in which why we can go wrong, especially today more than any other age. Say you are missing money from your wallet and you suspect your child took it. It is not just to punish the child unless you are absolutely sure he took it. Suppose you punish the child and later your wife comes and says, I took 100 rupees from your wallet. You will realize you judged based on suspicion rather than on truth. Okay? To do justly. That is God's top priority. Top priority. Parents have to be just. In Ephesians 6, 4, now it is addressed to the authority. You fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Meaning, be just. If you are unjust, they will fight you back. Ultimately, they will rebel. Because deep inside, they too have a cry for justice. Justice. You cannot punish one child for one thing and let the other go for the same crime. That will come in another message, punishment, crime and punishment. How rules have to be written down that you cannot punish somebody for a rule which is not there. Adam and Eve must have done many things in the garden which could have been wrong. But it is not considered sin because there is only one law. Don't eat from that tree. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Understand that. So we be very careful as parents that we clearly tell the children what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and don't punish them for something which you never told them. You never told them. That is why everything is framed in the word of God and everything is framed in a nation, in the constitution and in the law books and in every company. Why? You know which way to turn, which way not to turn. Parents have to be just. Employers have to be just. Ephesians 6 and verse 9. 6. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your master also is heaven and there is no partiality with them. You masters be very careful when you are trying to be unjust and threaten and coerce your employers. Remember, you also have a master above you and he is not a respecter of persons. Be just. Servants of God or authorities have to be just. Matthew 24 verses 48 to 51. If that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, therefore justice can be perverted because he is not coming. And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. What does the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of. I will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. They shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God says, judgment, just. Everyone who has authority needs to ask for it to be just. And to be just, you need to know truth. You need to know the truth. And unless you have absolute truth, don't take decisions. Remember, that's why Solomon is famous for his judgments. Remember the two ladies with that one child which was alive? And he has to make a decision. And is going through the whole process to get to the truth. Because he can make only a decision based on truth. 
And what does uh, Micah 6, 8 say? First thing is what? To love, to do justly. And the second thing is what? To love mercy. Why? Because this is intimately connected with the first one, to do justly. Mercy, we, we see again mercy from a very narrow frame. Mercy has two sides. One, I am guilty. I acknowledge my guilt and I cry out to the judge, in this case Jesus Christ, for mercy and the judge shows mercy. I am a sinner. I acknowledge my sin and I cry out for mercy. He so shows mercy. The other side of mercy is not believing or passing a sentence because you don't have the whole truth. That's also mercy. I'm a judge. Evidence is produced, but the evidence is not proving anything concrete. Therefore, I have to err on the side of truth. That is mercy. Saying that, no, I have to. Because the judge can go only by what is presented in the court, not by hearsay, not by opinion, not by a gut feeling. No. Gut feeling. Even if it's a spirit-filled judge sitting in a court and he feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying this is guilty, he still has to go by evidence. That is how even the Bible puts it across the triangle, remember? The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the person of Jesus Christ. When these three comes, you hit the truth. Otherwise, it's still not true. If one side of the triangle is missing, it's still not true. Believers make all these gut-feeling judgments. I have this gut-feeling he's at fault. Who told you? Who told you? That is where mercy comes. To do justly and to love mercy. To love mercy. This is what God requires. We often err on both counts. On both counts of mercy. The Pharisees were quick to judge without knowing the truth. And they were very reluctant to show mercy to those who were penitent. If somebody was repentant, they didn't want to show any mercy. But they were very quick to judge where they did not know the truth. By both, we fail to be just. So as a pastor, when couples come, usually I try to get them both. Because husband will say one thing, when I talk to them, the wife will say another thing. And I need the truth. And the only way possible truth is get them both to sit together and talk and contradict each other. I, I never said that, okay? No, you said that. Okay, you fight it out. I'm listening. Because <laughs> when you fight it out, the truth comes out. I, I, are you getting the picture? That's what Micah says. Micah 6, 8 says, this is what God requires. First thing is to do justly. Lord, let me not by mistake pervert your justice. And if I don't know the whole truth, I'll leave it at that. I will choose to show Mercy. And you will think the judge is going with the accused. The judge says yes. Why? Because I don't have the truth. He's just an accused. If you know the nature of law, a person is considered innocent until he's proved guilty. That's how the law functions. Until he's proved guilty in the court, the onus is not on the one who is accused to prove his innocence. The onus is upon the state to prove that he is guilty. He doesn't have to prove his innocence. The state has to prove he is guilty. Until then, in the eyes of the law, he is innocent. The problem is we listen to the media and he's already guilty. He's already guilty. That is 
is where God says, my people are different. They will base things only on truth and nothing but the truth. So Jesus says, I will not judge by what I see or what I hear, only in righteousness. On truth. So Micah says, first thing to do justly, second thing, love mercy, and third thing, to walk humbly with your God. This is all connected with God's justice, don't separate them. In this verse, all three are connected with justice. All three are connected with justice. Why walk humbly? Because we are not to think ourselves more highly than those whom we may have to judge. There is only one perfect judge, that is Jesus Christ. No other judge is perfect. Paul will put across this in Philippians 2 and verse 3. And 3, 3, not 8. Philippians 2, 3. Okay. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, in humility, let each one esteem others better than himself. Better than himself. The judge is sitting there in that chair. That does not mean in eternity he is better than the accused. Or maybe, maybe even in the court he may not be better than the accused in the eyes of God. So he has to be very, very careful that he walks humbly before God. We do not prejudge in our minds. We do not judge without facts. Often, now listen carefully, this is a subtle English teaching, okay? We go to English language teaching now. We may have evidence, but have no proof. Sounds very, I thought evidence and proof was the same. No, it's not. Okay, I'll get you to a little ELT, okay now. Because I have encountered those situations so many times in life. Let me give you an example. First, let us define Because we think evidence and proof are the same. Let me define. Evidence is something which shows that something exists or may be true. Proof is the evidence or argument is establishing a truth. Often we may have evidence but not proof. So we go ahead and pronounce guilt without knowing whether the individual is guilty or not. The premise of law is a person is innocent until proven guilty. Let me give you a simple, very simple example whether even a child can understand. Imagine an empty cookie jar and a small child sitting with what? Crumbs all over his body. We take it as evidence that the jar had cookies and the baby ate it. But the fact is that we have no proof. We have no proof that in the first place there were cookies in the jar or that the baby ate it. What if his elder brother ate it and took the dust and put it on the baby's face? Do you have proof? But we have already judged the baby based on evidence, not on proof. When scripture says in the mouth of two or three witnesses... It only means the accusation has to be investigated. It is still not proof. Jesus was condemned through the mouth of two witnesses. And they were both false. Naboth was stoned to death on the mouth of more than two witnesses. All were false. 
even if there are two witnesses or three witnesses it still doesn't mean it is the truth that is why the system spends so much money on establishing truth forensic science everything is from that but today we are living in a time when evidence can be manipulated into anything you tell me what in forensic science it can be manipulated even your fingerprints can be manipulated they know how to do it they will give you a pen you take the pen they take the pen back take your fingerprints and put it in the crime scene if you pay them enough they can make you guilty when you are innocent and they can make you innocent when they are guilty so only one who knows the truth is god and god alone nothing that is produced in this 21st they can change everything understand that so scripture enjoins us the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness righteousness happens only because justice is upheld and justice happens only when truth stands up and you know what finally we understand truth can stand up only in my and my street alone i cannot make truth stand up in another person's life that i can only ultimately judge myself i cannot even judge my wife or my children or anybody anybody that's isaiah's lament in isaiah 459 verse 14 which we saw a couple of sundays back justice is turned back righteousness stands far off why one reason truth has fallen in the street when truth falls in the street equity or impartiality also goes doesn't even enter and everything is powered that is why jesus says when the holy spirit comes what will you do in john 16:13 he says he will lead you to all truth he will he will guide you into all truth he will only guide you to the truth but depends upon how you apply the truth Jesus will say in John 8 and verse 32 you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free this word know is a very intimate verb adam knew his wife and she conceived it's not intellectual if adam knew he had a wife she would have never conceived okay and he said in his head he knew he had a wife but that is not what brought the conception it because it was a oneness he says when you know the truth you have become one with the truth the truth has stood up in your life you are free only the truth can set you free why why is it free because justice is upheld righteousness flows and the kingdom of god is established in your life established in your life so what is our response to justice What do you do when you feel you have been treated unjustly? Usually in every structure there is a mechanism to address injustice especially today. If you want to go that way go prayerfully and with humility. But there is also another scripture in Romans 12 verses 19 and 20. It's a warning. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. Rather give place to wrath. for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord and therefore if your enemy it continues but verse 19 is what is important avenge and vengeance are words that deal with justice 
they deal with the way our mind wants to respond to injustice. Be careful, God says. Be careful, God says, because here avenge is our response to authority when justice has not been performed. We see it as injustice and we want to avenge it. And most movies are made on that. And people love it. That's why you see them with for the old days, it used to be small knives to now big knives, small guns to be bazookas, all avenging because the system has failed. Terrorists are birthed on that premise. Now, when this happens, our reaction is not against the ruling, it is against the ruler. And scripture says, every authority is established by God. It's not against the ruling. Avenging is against the ruler. God says, be careful. Authority will stand by authority. Authority will stand by Authority. That's the nature of authority. And leave it to God to strengthen out injustice. You look at parallels in history. Okay. A navy commander is in a battlefield. The commanding officer gives an order. The second in command knows it is wrong, but he disobeys an order and brings victory. But when he comes back with victory, he's not given a medal, he's court martialed. Why? Because you broke the chain of command. The authority sees it differently. The people, newspapers, everybody will say, give him the Congressional Medal of Honor, give him everything. But the system sees it differently. You broke the chain of command. Have to be authority. I hope you're trying, you're getting what I'm trying to say. You can go for redressal. We have injustice. But never do it at the cost of demeaning the authority who passed the sentence. Okay? Simple example. Very common example for everybody sitting here. A teacher disciplines your child. Your child comes home and tells it. You don't agree with the teacher. What do you do? What do you do? Mothers usually will react emotionally, go back the next day to school and fight with the teacher. I'll tell you what happened to me. Once the Zonka, that is the Bhutanese language teacher when I was in class 5, whipped me. They don't whip you. They had a wooden stick like this with leather thongs, three, and they hit you here. Okay, so he whipped me here. Okay, it didn't matter to him whether I was the principal's son. I don't know what his reason, he whipped me. Because even though I don't understand that language, he whipped me. When I came back home, my mom saw the wells and she was furious. Mothers, not furious. Evening when my father came back from the school, she told my father, that teacher whipped your son. What do you think my father did? You know a little bit about my father by now. What do you think he did? He whipped me once again. He whipped me once again. Once again. Because authority will stand with authority. My mother thought my father would go and call the teacher to the office and give him. He didn't say, he didn't. He didn't. He said, no. I will not question him why he did. My son must have done something wrong. And now I will punish him as a father. At home. Why did you disrespectful to authority in the class? Instead, what do we teach our children? Fight authority. I will fight for you. No, 
No, we don't do that. We are teaching our children something wrong. No, because authority stands with authority. Understand, that's how the kingdom works. We have to be very, very careful how we deal with these things because all of us are human. Not one of us know what perfect justice is. Therefore, none of us will execute perfect justice. That's why the rule book was established. That is why we go by the book. And this is the book. Constitution is established to governing authorities. They have to go by it. But ultimately, everything has to be governed by this. That is why that important words in Psalm 138, verse 2, which I preached on years back, uh, months back. I will worship towards you, your holy temple, and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. He says, this is my rule book. When I uphold this, I uphold justice. When I uphold justice, righteousness flow. I will not bend anything that mars my justice. You will know one day that I am just. I am just. In John 12, 46 to 48, this is what Jesus says. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. But if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He says, I haven't come to judge now. Next one, but he who rejects me does not receive my words, has that which judges him, the word I have spoken, will judge him in the last day. Can you understand? This is the law book by which God will judge us. We have been given an incredible opportunities to know the law and judge ourselves with this before he judges us with this. Think about that. Let's think about our minute. This is God's law book. This is the truth. On this we meditate day and night. And your judgments, O oh Lord, I will speak. Because on this alone, justice will come and righteousness will be declared. Vengeance, on the other hand, is anarchy. It is every man deciding that I will take justice in my hands and try to enforce it outside of proper authority. That is what you see in the book of Judges. After Samson is dead, the last judge is gone. There is no judge now. What does scripture record? In Judges 17 and verse 6, 16, Samson dies. 17, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But could everybody do what in their eyes? No. Why? Because the rule book is there. Enforcer of the rules is not there. Old covenant, what you see, everybody had the rule book. But when the judge or the king is gone, they do whatever they want. God says the new covenant people are a different people. They are born of the spirit. The kingdom of God is within. Even if somebody is watching you or not, you walk under, under the law. You fulfill the law. That's the difference. You don't need an enforcer. If you need an enforcer all the time, if you are working in a company, you need a manager for you to work, that means you are under the law. If you need somebody to keep order in your life at home, that means you are under the law. If you need the pastor to constantly monitor you to keep order in the church, that means you are under the law. God says, no, you are not under the law. These people were under the law. What do you read? The next 17 to 21 chapters is total anarchy. 
absolute anarchy. You know about the Levite, you know about the concubine, the concubine pieces were cut into pieces, sent into every tribe before you know everybody is fighting Benjamin. Benjamin is destroyed and few men are left and then they have to take the unbelieving girls for the... What a mess. Why? Because everyone thought, I shall do the way I think justice should be implemented. And what is, how does the book of Judges end? In Judges 21 verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is true of an individual, a home or a nation. That's why the law was given through Moses to the nation of Israel. So that there would be order in the home of Israel, in the towns of Israel and ultimately the nation of Israel, there would be law and order. When you have law, you have order. Law and order goes together. But law and order is only connected with outside behavior. The law was given through Moses so that it be order in the nation of Israel. But what came through Jesus Christ was not law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is that? The righteousness that came through the law only affected the outside and not the inside. By that nobody was counted right before God. To be counted right before God, truth has to be found inside. With Jesus, what came was the nation, not the nation of Israel, what came was the kingdom of God. And Jesus declared righteousness is the scepter of his kingdom. The scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. The order of priesthood in that kingdom is that of Melchizedek. And righteousness comes only when truth is established. And a day is coming when truth will reign in every life. Righteousness will flourish and everyone will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And everyone will one day look back and say, you were just. Absolutely just. Understand these principles. That is why God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because we are living in a days, saddest days of modern human history. To see literally, the, probably the greatest nation ever in human history just falling apart morally, ethically, breaking in it seems. It's the end of America, this election. It will never be the same again. What do you, what is the hype or what, what marks out this election? It is not, it is just accusations. Just accusations. Just accusations. Nothing else. Let the whole world holds their head in shame because that was another nation which was established by their founders under God. Remember, only two nations, one Israel, the other US, under God. One nation under God. And God's name is mocked every day. Accusation, accusation, accusations, accusations. The worst kind. And we were living in those days. That the Gentiles nation look at that nation and look down with shame. What are they doing? What are they doing? But this is what happens when every man becomes king of his life. He does what he thinks he is right. But taking down to an individual personal level, God says, how do you handle truth? How do you handle truth? How do you handle judging? 
Because spiritual man judges everything. Everything. And then he himself is not judged. He is not judged. Like I keep saying, walk through God's green channel. Nothing to declare. Nothing to declare. We are just beginning. Okay, We have more to go in the next next weeks. Because this, for me, this is probably is the most important series of messages that God is giving me in this in this last days, last years. Because this is connected how we finish our race. How we finish our race. If Paul is able to say, I have kept that faith, he's basically saying, I have kept his truth in my life. I'm absolutely clear and I know my crown is waiting for me. It's a crown of righteousness. He said, I have upheld justice in my life. I've been just I'm finishing as a just man, just shall live by faith, unto faith, I've finished my race. I've kept his truth. There is justice. And I know, I have the crown of righteousness. He's able to finish his race like that. And we should be able to finish our race like that. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening, we just come to you. As we continue to study about your kingdom, The kingdom that is within us spiritually and the kingdom that is coming physically. We know, Lord, the scepter of your kingdom is righteousness. Oh, Father, when truth is fallen, righteousness, justice, equity, all stand far back. You came with truth and grace. Help us to seek your righteousness each day. To seek your truth each day. Only what you say is true. Not what we see, not what we hear, not even what we feel. And help us to receive that truth. And judge ourselves daily by that truth. So that you can declare us righteous And growing in righteousness. So that one day you can give us the crown of righteousness. That one way we can be found fit by you to judge the nations. Help us Lord. Teach us Lord. Let us not fight your word. Let us receive your word daily. Meditate upon it daily. Apply it daily. For those are words of life. You brought us safely. And even as we go back home safely. Reach us home safely Lord. We best put our trust in you. And you alone. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen.